Yes. In the Pasuk in this week's Parsha says, this is Shmos chapter 18, verse 8. Yisro, who's Moshe Rabbeinu's father-in-law, comes to greet Moshe Rabbeinu in the Midbar. And the Pasuk says, V'yisaper Moshe lechosno, Moshe told his father-in-law, as kol asher asa Hashem leparo ulemitzrayim, everything that Hashem did to Paro and Mitzrayim, al odos Yisrael on behalf of Kol Yisrael. As asher mitzasam baderech, all the troubles that they had found on the way, v'yatzilem Hashem, and that Hashem had rescued them. So, very simple explanation of the pasuk is Moshe Abenu told. Yisrael about everything that Hashem did to Paro, to Mitzrayim, because of Eretz, because of Klal Yisrael, and all the hard things that had happened. Simple enough, right? Easy pasuk. The problem is if you go back seven pesukim earlier to the very beginning of the parsha. What does the pasuk say? Vayishma Yisro Kohen Midyan, Chosein Moshe. Yisro, the priest of Midyan, heard. The father-in-law of Moshe heard. Everything that HaKadosh Baruch Hu did to Moshe and to Klal Yisrael and his people, that Hashem took them out of Mitzrayim. So I don't understand. Very simple question. Yisro hears everything that happened to Klal Yisrael. Seven psukim later, what does Moshe tell him? Everything that happened to Klal Yisrael. It almost sounds like Moshe has to tell Yisro because Yisro didn't know. But obviously Yisro knew because seven psukim earlier the Torah tells us that Yisro heard everything that had happened to Klal Yisro. That's why Yisro came. Yisro came because he heard about everything that happened. So why does Moshe Rabbeinu need to tell him the details again of everything that he knew that had already happened? You understand the question? Make sense? You got it? Okay. That's question number one. Question number two is a Rashi. Vayishma Yisro, Yisro heard, Mashmua Shama Uba. What report did Yisro hear that made him come? This is a very strange Rashi. Remember, what did the Pasuk say? Vayishma Yisro koin midyon chosesh Moshe, es kol asher ase elokim lemoshe ul Yisrael amo. What did Yisro hear, girls? Everything. Everything. So what's Rashi asking? What did he hear that made him come? What do you mean? The Pasuk tells us. What did he hear? Everything. So what's Rashi asking? And then Rashi says something very strange. Rashi says, you know what he heard about? Quoting Rashi's quoting Chazal. Rashi's quoting uh, Mechilta and Gemara and Zvachim. Rashi says, Kriyas Yamsuf, Amalek. Rashi says, it was Kriyas Yamsuf that he heard about and Melchemes Amalek. Doesn't that go against the Pasuk? The Pasuk says, what did Yisro hear? He heard everything. What does the Gemara say? He heard about Kriyas Yamsuf and Amalek. Which one is it? Did he hear about Kriyas Yamsuf and Amalek? Or did he hear everything? So what's going on in this Rashi? Those are the questions that we have for tonight. And also, I forgot one last question. Why specifically these two things? What was it about Kriyas Yamsuf and Amalek? Right? If he only heard about Kriyas Yamsuf and the war with Amalek, what was it that so compelled him that he said, I must come to be a part of Klal Yisrael? I want to talk to you tonight about a concept that's very near and dear to my heart. 
something that I think is exceptionally relevant to all of us. It's the difference between inspiration and excitement. You know, people say inspiration doesn't last, right? Right. It's not true. Inspiration lasts a lifetime. People confuse the word inspiration and excitement. What's the difference between inspiration and excitement? I'll tell you the difference. Imagine you have a Rebbe comes here, who's speaking here tonight after me, Rav Gav? Not Rav Gav tonight? I'm not allowed to say? Special speaker tonight? Imagine it's Rav Gav, right? Let's pretend that I didn't say that. Let's pretend that you didn't do that and pretend that I didn't acknowledge you doing it when I wasn't supposed to. Moving on. Moving on, right? (laughs) Thank you very much. So let's say Rav Gav comes here tonight and he gives you an awesome shear and it's inspiring and it's a pump up and it's like you walk out of shear and you're like, that's it. I'm in. I really want to work on my fill in the blank. After this, I'm really going to have try Kavana and Davening. I'm really going to try to to you know, take upon myself not to speak Lashon Hara, whatever it is that you're working on. What happens? You do it for a day, you do it for a week, then what happens to the excitement? The excitement falls away. And we get very upset at ourselves, no? We're like, you know, I took it upon myself and I really committed to myself that I'm going to do it, but in the end I didn't, and I always do that, I always say that I'm going to, but then I don't do it, and I always feel badly afterwards. Many years ago, I had a girl in my, sh- in my shear in a different seminary, and she dropped out of my shear because she said, your shear makes me feel worse about myself. And I was, you know, I don't like to hear that. Like, I don't want to make Jews feel worse about themselves. So I said, what was it that I was saying that made you feel so bad? She goes, no, 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 it's nothing that you said. She's like, I would walk out of your shear, and I would always, like, say to myself, like, that's it, I'm not doing this thing anymore. And then that night, I would always do it, and I just got tired of feeling badly about myself. So I decided that I don't want to be macabre on myself to do it anymore, so I dropped out of the shear. So I said, okay, that's not so bad. I don't feel badly if you dropped out because of that. But what she was really saying was, excitement doesn't last. You ever go to, like, an NCSY Shabbaton, and you have, like, a powerful kumzitz, and, like, everyone's singing, or or a really powerful Abdullah, you ever have this, and you're like, that's it, it's awesome, I'm in. And then, you know, three days later, a week later... Or maybe that Shabbos, right, something. You have an awesome Friday night tish, and then maybe that Shabbos afternoon something happens that's not super appropriate. You, ever, you know what I'm talking about? I'm looking around the room. We're honest with each other. I would say about 50% of you know exactly what I'm talking about. 50% of you know what I'm talking about, but you don't want to acknowledge it. So I just want to say thank you to everybody in the room who both acknowledged it, and let me know that you're not acknowledging it with acknowledging it. We're all on the same page. Thank you for coming with me on that. Yeah? <laughs> that's excitement. In today's Jewish world we do an awesome job at excitement. We've made school awesome. You know, when I went to school, school wasn't awesome. Today, school is camp. You go to school, they have, some of these schools have student activities budgets that are hundreds of thousands of dollars. They made school awesome. If you go to, let's say, a, a modern Orthodox school that has a basketball team, do you understand what that basketball game is like? I was just in America last week. That's why I wasn't here last week. Thursday night, it doesn't matter what school, Thursday night I went to a basketball game, and it was senior night. I have never seen a basketball game like that. It was incredible. The pump up beforehand, the music, the layup lines, they had a video presentation. It was like going to an NBA game. The hype was off the charts. We've done a really good job at excitement. But when we did a really good job with excitement, it came with a price. And the price was education. I'll tell you what happened. We made school awesome. School used to stink. 
but what there was was real learning. And what we did is we made school awesome, and the price that we paid in many of these cases is that we're not doing as much education as we should. And so kids are walking out, for example, of yeshivas today and of Beis Yaakov's today, and I'm sure some of you will come with me on this, after 12 years of a Jewish education, maybe more in some cases, and can a girl open up a Pasuk and Chumash and just translate it and know what it's talking about? Can she open up a Ramban and know what's going on? Can she open up a Rashi? In some cases, yes. In many cases, the answer is no. Some yes no. and some no. Some, some yes. We don't have to do this publicly. Some yes and some no. We can agree to disagree and agree at the same time. Yeah. Some yes and some no. Depends where you're coming from. And I want you to know that we hear, from the boys, we hear this a tremendous amount. A boy comes to yeshiva and he's like, Rebbe, I just don't like learning Gemara. Why not? Because I'm not good at it. I sat with a young man today. I said, how's yeshiva going? He said, good. I said, what have you accomplished? He said, I came to yeshiva with a goal that I should be able to learn how to read a Gemara. Twelve years of a Jewish education. I should be able to learn how to read a Gemara. I said, how's the goal going? He said, honestly, not bad. Six months into the year, not perfect, but I'm much better than I was. And he had a sense of accomplishment. I was talking to this young man today, a sense of accomplishment. Now, yeshiva is not easy. It's a grind. You're pushing yourself. It's educational. But when we make it so exciting, at the expense of education, what we lose is inspiration. And that is a tragedy. Because you know yourself that the excitement only lasts for a certain amount of time. Yes, should our schools be awesome? Should our schools be places that are really fun that we want kids to go to? Absolutely they should. But if that's not there to enhance the education, if it overtakes the education, if kids feel like I'm in a glorified camp, then we lost something very special. We're going to discuss what the education-inspiration relationship is in a minute, but I want to tell you a story. I was talking to a principal of a high school a couple of weeks ago. He came to visit Eretz Yisrael. I said, how's it going? He goes, honestly, it's, it's really hard. I said, why? He goes, I'm having trouble getting kids to come to my high school. I said, why? You have such a good school. Like, the kids coming out of your school, they're so sweet, they're so innocent. Like, you have like a, you have like a great thing going. And he goes, yeah, but you have to understand, we have a limited student activities budget. We're not a wealthy school. But there's another school, <clears throat> not in the neighborhood, but there's another school in a couple towns over. And their board gave them an unlimited student activities budget. And we always used to get kids from this one community. But the kids say, I don't want to go to that school. I'd rather go to the school that's not half an hour away, but 50 minutes away. I'd rather spend the 20 minutes extra on the bus because that school, it's like going to camp. So why would I, if I have the option, if I'm a 15-year-old boy and I'm an option of going to camp or I have an option of going to school, what would you choose? We all know the answer. Every one of us would choose going to camp. But we lose something very precious. What do we lose? We lose education. What's the difference between education and excitement? The answer is education inspires. Ideas inspire people. We need the Tishes, we need the Fabrengans, we need the NCSY Abdullah, we need you to have a relationship with your Rebbe, we need all of that in order to excite you, but the excitement is only there to facilitate the inspiration. I'm going to give you an example of this. About 20 years ago, I heard a shear. I'm going to share with you the basic idea of the shear that I heard 20 years ago. The idea is still inside of me today, and the idea inspires me deeply. The idea was that everything has a body and a soul. 
The body can be measured, the soul cannot be measured. The body is physical, we can measure the amount of space that it takes up. The soul is immeasurable, it's infinite, we can't measure it. And this rabbi said, it was a brilliant move, you ready for this? The rabbi said, anything that's real has more immeasurable than measurable. What did he mean? So he said like this, is music measurable? or immeasurable, what would you say? Music cannot be measured. Sound can be measured, but music cannot be measured. What's the part of music that moves your soul? Is it the sound or the music? It's the music. It's not just the sound, right? When you look at a beautiful piece of art, this rabbi said, is the art just color or is is there a soul to it that makes it art? There's a soul to it. You know what moves you when you see a beautiful piece of art? I remember my father... You've heard this before. I remember my father told me, he's, he was so upset at me because I don't appreciate art. So my father told me that he went to see the Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa came to New York when he was 16 years old. And he, came, he went to see the Mona Lisa. And he told me that it was so beautiful that he cried. And I said to my father, why? She's like an ugly girl. Like, why? <laughs> Why'd you cry when you saw the Mona Lisa? And my father said to me, I can't believe I raised such a son who doesn't appreciate the beauty of the Mona Lisa. You know, I don't know if my father's right or I'm right, but I do know this. Something about that picture stirred his soul and it didn't stir mine. It's not about the color. There was something about that picture that moved my father to tears. Art can move a person to tears. I'll give you another example of this. Chemicals are measurable. We can measure how much dopamine you secrete, how much serotonin you secrete. But can we measure love? Just because somebody secretes dopamine and serotonin when they're with you, right, doesn't mean that that's love, right? If somebody gets down on one knee and looks at you and says, marry me, nobody makes me secrete serotonin like you. What's wrong with that? Isn't he just saying the truth? The problem is that he's talking about the measurable and not the immeasurable. And this rabbi was giving this shir, and he started to expand this idea, and he started talking about relationships. And the idea started to penetrate not only my mind, it started to penetrate my heart. And he started to say things like, when you're with someone, are you with their guf or are you with their neshama? When you're in a relationship with someone, what's the part of you, right, that's in the relationship? He said, when you're a child, when you're a teenager, what attracts you to somebody else? It's the goof. But as you get older, you realize, actually, the goof gets in the way. It's almost like we need the body to pull back in order for the soul to come out. And he said, that's why you see beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Because sometimes a person could have a very beautiful goof, but the neshama is like, when they open their mouth, it's like gross. And all of a sudden, the goof becomes less attractive. On the other hand, you know that guy that you said nothing would ever happen with him because he's only my platonic friend? And it would be weird if something happened because he's like my brother. You have to understand, he's like my brother's best friend. And we literally grew up together and our parents are best friend. It would be like inappropriate for something to happen. Obviously, Rabbi, nothing could ever happen between me and this boy. You remember that guy? You know that guy? Everyone here in the room? About 60% of you, thank you so much for coming with me. Yeah? Who? You know exactly who, yeah? Don't say, yeah? No. Okay, it's okay. (laughs) 
So you remember what happened when you realized you had feelings for that guy, that it was your platonic friend, that nothing would ever happen with him? Remember that moment when you realized, like, oh, shoot? How'd that happen? Because if somebody's neshama over and over again keeps coming out and you see the beauty of this person, not the external beauty, but the internal beauty, what's going to happen? The neshama starts to connect and all of a sudden the goof starts to become more attractive. And all of a sudden when these guys come to me and they go, so Rabbi, remember that girl that I told you about that nothing would ever happen? I don't know what happened, but like, I just think like I caught feelings or something, but like, I don't know what that looks like, this like whole feelings thing anyway, but you know, like... Uh, and I say to him, well, what did you expect to happen? Right? Because there's the reality and then there's the measurable. This idea was so inspiring to me that it started to define all of Judaism to me. Up until that point, you know what I was doing? I was like reading all of the proofs of God books. You know, like I had all the books on my shelf and I had, you know, Lawrence Kellerman's Permission to Believe and Permission to Receive and I was reading like all these different like books like Proving God, The Science of God, Gerald Schroeder and I was like super into that whole thing and there was a website called simpletoremember.com It's a very easy website to remember. Simpletoremember.com Thank you very much for laughing at that. I appreciate it. At least one person was paying attention. Yeah, simpletoremember.com That's why we love you, Sophie. Yeah, simpletoremember.com and I'm like pounding this website and then it finally occurred to me you can't prove God because that would make God measurable. And so this idea was so penetrating and it was so impactful that it changed the way that I saw everything. And now here it is, it's been 20 years since I heard that shear, and that shear continues to inspire me. And I'm giving it over to you, frankly, with the same level of passion that I had for it back then because to me this idea was so fundamental I couldn't live without it. It changed the way I saw the world. The problem with education is that education can be boring when it's not relevant to our lives. I saw a meme. Girls know what a meme is? I'm just kidding. I just needed you to come with me, yeah? I saw a meme that said, um, thank you for teaching me Pythagoras' theorem over how to do your taxes because the other day on Pythagoras' theorem day, I knew how to do Pythagoras' theorem. But when it came to doing my taxes, I had to hire somebody and spend thousands of dollars because I have no idea how to do my taxes. It's a funny meme, but what's the meme really saying? You gave me an education that was irrelevant. The reason why kids, kids don't need education to be exciting, they need education to be relevant. Do we need excitement in our Judaism? Of course we do. I'm not saying we don't. Should you have a funny rabbi, somebody who can get up and tell a couple of jokes, keep you interested to keep your ADHD at bay, right? You, of course we should have that. But if you would have education and the education would be relevant and it would speak to your soul, not just your body, you wouldn't need it to come with all the fancy frills. The Torah will do its work on its own. But you have to allow the Torah to seep through. And how many of us are getting a watered-down education because people think that we can't handle it? I want you to know that I believe, right now, I believe, as I'm looking around the room, I believe that every single person in this room knows what I'm saying to be true. That if you ever had a great teacher, it wasn't because that teacher was dynamic or charismatic. It was because, what would you say about that teacher? 99% of the time it's because, not, and, and by the way, not even the relationship that you had with the teacher. Because when they taught the material, these are the words you use. You ready for it? They made it come alive. What does that mean? So I'll tell you. I had a... Um, I had a really cool English teacher in high school. He was awesome. His name was Doc Horowitz. 
He became a doctor. He got his doctorate in literature while he was teaching in high school. So he went from being Mr. Horowitz, and then he, got the, he said, guys, I want the nickname Doc. So we call him Doc Horowitz, and he was like a really cool guy. And this guy loved Shakespeare. And he would read with us. I remember he always like sat in like a funny position, and he was always like jumping around the classroom. And when Doc Horowitz would, would like teach Shakespeare, he wasn't teaching Shakespeare. He wasn't just like reading the words and like making sure we understood the old English. He would stop and he would say, what does this line mean to you? And guys would like throw out different suggestions. He would create a debate in the classroom. And I remember thinking, hey, we're actually learning something. The problem with so much of what we're learning is not just that it's not interesting to us. It's like, uh, not, like okay, like, what's it going to do for me in my life? There are people that love math because they're good at it, right? So for them, it's like a puzzle. Anyone here in the room good at math? Yeah, you're good at math? Oh, my wife is good at math. I failed the math three regions twice. I'm terrible at math. I married my wife so that maybe my kids would have a shot. And Baruch Hashem, all my kids got her genes, and my kids are good at math. So you're good at math. So for you, when you do math, you get excited like, oh, that's cool, I figured out how it works. What's that math going to do for you? Nothing. Nothing, right? Now, there will be things that math will do for you, for sure. And there's critical thinking skills that are, that are amazing in math that will help you develop a way of seeing the world. There's no doubt about that. But the truth of the matter is that when someone teaches you Torah, when someone says, this is the blueprint of the world, this is how you're meant to live your life, this is what it looks like to be someone who brings Hashem down into the world. That information is so relevant that it doesn't need to be packaged up. You could just give it to a person and they go like this. They go, this is what happens. You give it to someone, they go, thank you. It changes the way you see the world. What's the litmus test if you're inspired or excited? The litmus test is what happens when it gets hard. If you're excited and something is difficult, what do you do? You stop. It's called your New Year's resolution. You know that they uh, advertise like crazy the entire month of December for gym memberships? You know how many people sign up for a gym membership? They make a fortune of money. They have all these things like sign up. You only have to sign up for a month. Every month after that is up to you. They do whatever they can to get you in the door because they make a fortune of money come January 1st. January 1st, the gym is packed. Everybody's in it. January 4th, the gym is empty. You know why? Because they were excited. But it got hard to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning. It got hard to juggle my schedule. It's not actually a priority to these people. So of course, why would I, why would I show up to the gym? It was just exciting, and then it got hard. How do you know if you were inspired? The difference between excitement and inspiration is the inspired person goes to the gym even when it gets hard. I had a buddy of mine who was uh, exceptionally overweight, about 500 pounds. He was struggling tremendously in his life. Baruch Hashem, he's lost a tremendous amount of weight. He had a surgery, but he also did a lot of work. I spoke to him last week. I said, how's it going? He said, amazing. I said, how'd you do the change? So he gave me this whole list. He has this list of five things that he did to create this change in his life. I said, seriously, what made you do it? He goes, I wanted to live to see my kids' weddings. That's the difference between excited and inspired. Inspired means that he understood deeply, he came to an awareness, I can no longer live life this way. Let's go back to what the Torah tells us. Yisro comes, and he hears everything that happened. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, 
I want to tell you everything that happened, but he adds something in. What did Moshe Rabbeinu add in? He doesn't just tell him everything that HaKadosh Baruch Hu does for Klal Yisrael and everything that HaKadosh Baruch Hu does for the Mitzrayim. He added in a third thing. He tells Yisrael, here were all the hard things that we went through. You're joining a nation that's not just excited, you're joining a nation that's inspired. We saw something incredible. What did Yisro, what did Yisro see in Klal Yisrael that made him come? Shama Uba. That's what Rashi says. Yisro already heard everything. He heard all the stories. But there were two things that made Yisro say, I cannot be in Midian any longer. I have to be with Klal Yisrael in the desert. What did he hear? Two things. Number one, Kriyas Yamsuf. Number two, Melchemes Amalek. Why those two things? So listen carefully. Kriyas Yamsuf was the most miraculous event in the history of the world. Kriyas Yamsuf, every single person in the world heard that the greatest empire just got defeated by a nation that had been enslaved for 210 years. That they had only, the only thing they had left, they were stripped of all their riches. The only thing that they had left was their army. And their army followed Klal Yisrael into the Yamsuf, and then each one was destroyed. And we know what happened, Mida Kenegan Mida. Every single Mitzri that died in, that, in Kriyas Yamsuf died exactly according to the amount of pain that they inflicted on members of Klal Yisrael. And the entire world heard about it. Yisro heard about it too, but he did not get off the couch. He didn't leave until a second thing happened. Imagine the excitement that came in the world. There is a God. God saved Klal Yisrael. Unbelievable, right? Didn't move Yisrael. Then another thing happened. There was a nation that attacked Klal Yisrael. And Yisrael said to himself, wait a second. What just happened? Not that long ago, God revealed himself to the entire world and said, I am the God of the Jews, and I'm taking them out of the land of Mitzrayim. And we were all astounded by that. And still there could be a nation that would start up with Klal Yisrael. He realized something about himself. If I stay here in Midian, I will be excited, but I will not be inspired. And ultimately my excitement will fade, just like it did for Amalek. Ultimately, the bathtub will be cooled down. That's what Rashi says. Amalek jumps into a hot tub and they cool the bathtub down. If I'm going to be real, I've got to join him. I've got to be part of it. So that's when he changes. Yisro heard everything, but there were two things that made him come. Number one, Kriyas Yamsuf. Number two, Melchamas Amalek. There's a question that you have to ask yourself this year. You're here in Sharfman's. You're having an awesome year, Baruch Hashem. I see on Rabbi Green's status, you're like on Tiulim every other second. No doubt you've had an awesome time. I've even seen some of the videos. You're, you're, uh, you're very, very talented at giving tours. It's, uh, I don't know who writes those scripts, but they're very funny. Here we have, you're like, uh, I'm like, the price is right, you know? <laughs> How much does this apartment cost? The, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's I'm I'm sure it's a uh, I'm sure it's a joint effort. Will this year be a year of excitement or a year of inspiration? Will this year last or will it not last? It's a very simple question. There is no doubt that you have an amazing seminary here that does excitement like crazy. Awesome, awesome to you, Lim. 
I'm sure they. I, I see sometimes. What did I see? I, I think I saw. Did you girls have like a make a Poke Bowl thing or something? Did every, I see? Every, every yeah, I was see. I was see like Grow Connect Inspire Make a Poke Bowl. I have seen like the. Uh, I'm following Rabbi Green's status. <laughs> the um, no doubt the excitement here is awesome, and the excitement is necessary to grease the wheels to get to the inspiration. But I have a question. It's a, it's a challenge for all of us. Are we sitting on the sidelines? Are we fans or are we players? Are we sitting on the sidelines going, yeah, good sheer, Rabbi. Nice sheer, very nice. If it's that, if you don't get up, leave where you are and join something else, then it's academic. It's not true education. It doesn't have inspiration. It won't last. All you got is you got excited. Grow, connect, inspire. That's what it is. Connect, Be inspired. Inspire. Yeah, connect, inspire, grow. I like that, actually. That's the right way to do it. Connect, inspire. Connect, I assume, means to the school, right? To each other. To God. Inspire. To God. Sure, why not? <laughs> nah, I don't know about that one. Yeah? Yeah. No, but inspire means if I feel connected, I'm looking for inspiration. I'm not looking for excitement. So here's what I want to recommend. What's the thing this year that you need to... To get off the couch, what's, what's your version of you being Yisro, leaving Midian and saying, I'm joining? What's the thing this year that is your hardship that you're going to overcome? That you're going to be macabre on yourselves to say, I know it's going to be hard, but I'm going to do this. Not because I'm excited, but because I know deeply, because I've been inspired, I've been educated to know this is the way to, leave your, to live your life. This is what the family I want to raise. This is the person I want to become. And that's called growth. That word grow, by the way, it doesn't mean anything. It's like I, I, I did interviews last week in America for Mavasaret, and like he asked these boys, uh, what do you want to gain out of your year in Israel? And like some of them are just like very funny about it. They're like, I don't know, I want to grow. I'm like, what does that mean? And they're like, you know, like grow. I'm like, no, I don't know what the word means. What does it mean? To grow means to self-actualize. It means to become the person that you have inside of you. Grow doesn't mean just stam like do whatever like be better at this and be better at that. I just want to be better at davening. I just want to be better at this. No, it's not what it means. Grow means to be self-actualized. Self-actualization only comes from inspiration. It doesn't come from excitement. Excitement is the preamble. Excitement is what you need in order to get started, but it's not inspiration, and we can't confuse the two. Do you know how little we have left to our time this year? I'm going to talk about it. Wow, that's very specific. That's very specific. I don't know, 121 days is a lot, but it's much less than that. I'll tell you what I mean. Next week you're going to Budapest? Yeah, Poland. I won't be here anyway. I couldn't be here anyway. It worked out, Baruch Hashem, beautifully. I'm marrying off my daughter on Sunday of next week. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Sophie. And um, that means that we have... Five classes left before Pesach. What? It's five classes left before Pesach. No. It's five classes left before Pesach. Do you know how many classes we'll have after Pesach? I don't want you to tell me. No, no tell me. Sophie, it's going to be okay. Yeah. No. Maybe eight? Oh, my gosh. No. Maybe like 13 classes left. Okay, my heart is Yeah. <laughs> the reason I bring this to your attention is because... Remember when you came? Remember when you got off the plane? You realize how fast it's gone? 
This is your opportunity to say, okay, the sands of time are dwindling through the hourglass. Am I really inspired? Have I made a move? Have I really grown? Have I really become what I'm meant to become? One thing I can say for certain about being here in Sharfman's every year, there is real growth here. You see it every year. Come back, you see the Shonabek girls, you see how they're working on themselves, you see how they're looking inside of themselves. And I remember what they looked like in the beginning. I remember when the girls in the beginning were sitting in the corners, sitting in the back, refusing to give in their phones, spending all the... I remember the... Sh- I rem- the Shonabek girls now are all stocked. They're all from. But I remember when you weren't so from. I remember. Not you, but, you know, you. Yeah? Me? This is a place, though, her. <laughs> I remember, I remember... She, you, were, you were never on your phone. The, uh, I remember, but this is a place of real growth. The question is, when is it going to happen? So there's no doubt that it's been trickling in. There's no doubt this year that you can already see. But are we satisfied? Is this it? If your year ended today, would you be okay? No. no. You had dreams. Last year at this time when you were choosing a seminary, last year you were saying, okay, what's it going to look like next year when I go to Sharfman's? What do I want to look like at the end? And I'm sure that that's changed a lot over the course of the year. And maybe you've grown in your maturity and maybe that goal looks different now than it did just even a couple of months ago. And maybe that's a good thing. But if you're going to do it, now's the time. You have a month and change, not even, you have a month until Purim. If you're going to make a move, if you're going to choose to get up out of your Midian and to join Yisrael in the Midbar, if you're going to do hard things, look around in the world, girls. There are a lot of people that get excited by Kriyas Yamsuf, but there's a lot of Amalekites out there that they kill that excitement. If you want inspiration to last, you've got to make a move.